everybody. Thanks so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. For this next episode of Jim's Velt, we'll be talking to Lance Navarro, who is a working gay male escort, a prostitute. Yay! We actually had a really good talk. It was very enlightening. We discussed the Department of Homeland Security's crazy raid on rentboy.com. And one party actually defends the Pope against the mainstream media, which is crazy. Whether he has unprotected sex with some of his clients. And he actually gives a really nice story about him coming out of the closet when he was 16 years old. Lance was very generous with his time. I really can't thank him enough. And it was a real eye-opening talk for me. And I hope it is for you too. So here it is, my talk with Lance Navarro. How old were you when you first got into escorting? It was about seven and a half or eight years ago that I that I first did a uh, a porn scene. So that was sort of my stepping into the sex world, which, you know, later when I began escorting, it just sort of made it that much easier, especially in light of all this uh, crackdowns, the Rent Boy crackdown and all this stuff. You know, people have pointed out that you simply put a camera on two people, and it's no longer prostitution, it's porn. It's such a hypocrisy. It's totally. Because I don't know how it is with male escorts in, in general. I've read a little bit about it. It seems like a lot of people do both, gay porn and male escort, and they're, they're kind of synonymous. But then you're saying that you felt more comfortable just being an escort. Oh, very, yeah. It's, well, first of all, porn does not pay enough. <laughs> I thought gay porn paid like, so much. No, no. Women in straight porn are the ones who are making bank. If anyone, I mean, they're not even making bank, but they're, that's the one, largely because they can film three scenes a day. They can demand higher pay. There's so many guys wanting to get into gay porn that they don't need to pay much. On average, a small company usually only pays about four to $500 for a scene. A large company, maybe 800 to 1,000. Big names in the industry might be able to demand like 1,200 to 1,500, but that is pretty much the cap. So they might get an exclusive deal and have three or four scenes a year. So they might be able to make 40 or 50 grand, but that's a, that's about on the, the high end. So they need to work a second job. However, the two skill sets are not the same. Porn is a performance, and some clients may want sort of a performance, but for me, I, when I'm with a client, it's not a performance. It's, it's a connection, and it's a completely different thing, a completely different energy. When a camera's on you, you have to be aware of so many things, the lighting, the angles, your body positioning, whether you're core is nice and tight so you look you don't have rolls of flesh (laughs) yeah like i I would be totally subconscious i'd be like hey how does my ass look oh god yeah it's not fun i mean it's when there's a connection you know there's there's moments where you can kind of let go and be into it but you are 90 percent in your head and when i'm with a client what i want us to do because we're always in our heads self-conscious and insecure and having to worry about what comes next and stressing. And like when I'm with a client, I, I want them to just get completely out of their head and completely into their body. And I don't want there to be any insecurities. I don't want there to have to be any, oh God, I'm naked. Do I look fat? I don't want any of that shit, which is why I'm so much more passionate about escorting or as I, as I think of it, sex therapy. So um, a lot of the guys who are really good at porn are good at performing, but not necessarily at connecting because they don't have the compassion. They don't have the heart for it, the passion for it. But there's also those who do. I've met quite a few amazing guys that are amazing in porn, one or two of which I've, you know, actually had in session with a client, and they were wonderful. What was the situation with Rent Boy? That's what I really wanted to talk to you about, and that's where I saw you. You were you were at some protest, and you were quoted in the, um, I think it was theadvocate.com, and you were saying something to the effect of it was ridiculous about how this is happening. And Yeah, what happened was 
all of a sudden, from out of nowhere, the Department of Homeland Security, which is obviously supposed to be protecting us from foreign terrorists, essentially, and the New York Police Department joined them in the raid. So Department of Homeland Security could have done it by themselves, but by the NYPD joining in, whatever um, assets they seize, then they'll get you know, half of them. Oh, everybody's got their hand in the pot. Absolutely. But even why the Department of Homeland Security got involved is, is, is just crazy. Do you know what the core mission of the Department of Homeland Security is? It's terrorist threat, pretty much. Yeah, but no, they have five missions. The first one, prevent terrorism and enhance security. The second one, secure and manage our borders. The third one, enforce and administer our immigration laws. The fourth one, safeguard and secure our cyberspace. And the fifth one, ensure resilience to disasters. I don't know what the fuck Rent the Boy has to do with any of that. Many people wonder why this came, you know, the Ashley Madison thing happened just, what, maybe two weeks prior to this. And plus gay marriage has happened this year. So we really feel like that, A, not that this is a website like Ashley Madison, but all the, you know, all of a sudden these people are getting busted for their sexual, quote-unquote, misconducts. So we can't help but think that maybe there was some political force behind this saying, let's shut down this website before something perhaps comes out. So there's that. Um, and then there's also just for conservatives, you know, they lost on gay marriage. So now they're going to go after gay sex in whatever way they legally can. And there hasn't been any talk of this being a case of human trafficking, of underage, because you know, everything I always saw with Brent Boy was that, you know, they do a lot to verify age. So we're talking consenting adults doing as they please with their time and their body and their money. It's so odd to me. It doesn't make sense, you know? And after 18 years, why all of a sudden does the light go on? But you know, that's the problem, though, is even some of the most enlightened countries still have ridiculous laws against sex work. People talk about the the Swedish model, where the sex workers are seen as victims, not as criminals. So they felt like this was a, a good adjustment because we're not prosecuting these poor, sad sex workers who are, you know, probably doing this against their free will or whatever, and then treating the client as the criminal, and they're the ones getting prosecuted. And this has not fixed anything. I would challenge anybody who wants to talk about victims to meet some of my clients and talk to them and hear about how my work changes their life. Germany uh, is where I am. It's legal here. It's been legal here since 2002. And um, you can go to a brothel. It's just it's seen as a job. So, and some of these brothels here are huge. They're mega brothels, and um, they call the brothel mistresses poofmutters. And you see them in Aldi, which is like the German Costco. They're just fucking buying frozen peas like everybody else. And then once you live here for a while, it just becomes an average part of life. I think it's the American experience in itself which has such a problem with sex. But the hypocrisy lies in the fact that the United States has the biggest porn industry in the world. Oh, God, yeah. There's a reason why, as a country, we have, you know, a bigger military than the next, what, 10 countries combined. Our negativity towards sex and our propensity towards violence, it's all linked. Well, like, I compare it to uh, the, the bonobos, you know, the bonobos, the primates that are our next closest relatives. We branched off about 2 million years ago from them, but we only have, like, a... 3% difference in our DNA. Um, but anyway, if you compare the bonobos versus the chimpanzees, chimpanzees, they use power to work out sex issues. So they, they demonstrate their power, their aggressiveness in order to get laid. As the bonobos are having sex constantly, 
and they use sex as a way to work out power issues. And they're the most peaceful of all primates. Yeah, there's a reason why we're so war happy and so sex negative. When my partner and I, we just went to Vietnam and Cambodia, like almost exactly a year ago, actually. And you ask people there what they think of America, and they say, you all have guns and you're all killing each other. Oh, so you went to Vietnam and Cambodia, huh? Yeah, we did. Yeah, um, it was amazing. It was my partner's idea. I was actually going to go to the East Coast for two weeks, about two weeks after deciding, okay, I want to do this trip. I know it's technically not that expensive, but it's not the kind of money I have laying around. Put it out to the universe. I need to make this happen. This is meant to be. And I ended up booking um, a uh, client for like four days, uh, about two weeks later. So, Damn. So you book clients for days at a time? Well, not that often. This one, I actually, in my, um, and actually, if you go onto my website, uh, LanceNavarro.com, and I actually uh, read uh, part of what that, this client that I spent four days with, I read part of, um, I guess it's a review, but it was really like a four or five page story <laughs> about, about our time together. Because it was very touching. This guy was in his mid 70s and had just lost his wife six months prior who he had been married to since they were, you know, like they were high school sweethearts. And even though he, all of his life he knew he was attracted to men, uh, he never acted upon it. So his wife passed, he made peace with it, knew she'd want him to move on, knew she'd want him to live his life to the fullest. So after what he told me was like a month looking at profiles and ads online, found mine, kept reading it, went to my website, all this kind of stuff, and decided that, you know, I was the one that he wanted to share his first time with and that he wanted plenty of time together so that he could really just learn and grow and become the man that he always wanted to be. And yeah, it was really amazing. He actually uh, had, has some major disabilities that keep him uh, in a wheelchair. So did he come by himself or did he have like an aide wheel him in? No, no, I went to him and uh, really amazing. I mean, I, you know, he, he certainly, Took a lot away from it, but so did I. When everybody thinks of prostitution, they automatically think of hardcore porn. In and out, bang, how much, trying to steal people's money and, and, and drug you and all this stuff. And I'm sure that there's an aspect of that. But then what you're talking about is like, it's a therapy for some of these people. Like this guy, seven years old, is freaking disabled. His whole entire life, he's been living a lie to a certain extent. Maybe he really loved his wife, but deep inside, he had other feelings. Yeah. And he never he never pursued those. And here you are offering a service which will allow him to feel whole before he passes. And he's probably going to pass pretty soon. And that's, I think, what America has a hard time with dealing with. It's so black and white there. It's so easy in this culture where everything's a headline to not look at an issue and immediately, you know, create a right and wrong answer. And there's just that tendency to want to sort of demonize people. It's always, yeah, who's the enemy? You know, like, like when there was that whole thing when the Pope was here and supposedly he met with Kim Davis. When the first thing that came out was Kim Davis has a private meeting with the Pope for 15 minutes. And everybody's like, I told you the Pope is evil and this just shows his true colors and blah, blah, blah. You know, and I was like, I'm not going to immediately react to this. First of all, the whole world doesn't fucking know who Kim Davis is like we do. The most of the world cares about real news, not the bullshit that we cling to. Not that, not that that wasn't appalling what she was doing, but how much it got blown up. First of all, I don't even believe that he knew who the hell she was. <laughs> Second of all, she did not have a private meeting. She was in a room for maybe 15 minutes with probably a couple dozen other people. She got a simple handshake, a simple blessing, pray for me, go with strength. You know, the typical shit that the Pope says. 
and bottom line is, you know, yes, I wish the Pope were a little more forward thinking on things like gay marriage, but gay marriage is not the most important issue to me in the world. I'm much more concerned about income inequality. I'm much more concerned about the poor. I'm much more concerned about the climate change. And these are things that he's taking very liberal, by our standards, liberal stances on, because we need a world to have overpriced gay marriages on. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. And, you know, you you nailed it right on the head when you said that the um, the mainstream media in America it's almost unbelievable how much they miss the international aspect of things. Like living overseas and, and living in Europe, like you watch the news here, and then I go to America, and I'm like, oh my God, it's total propaganda in a lot of ways. Oh yeah, completely. Talk to anybody from Europe who comes to the U.S. and watches the news, they're like, how do y'all get away with this shit? <laughs> Yo, it, this is crap. You know what it is? It's hyper-local. You know, cat stuck in a tree or eight shootings last night. And then like the last two minutes of the broadcast in between like eight commercials is is the war in Syria. And we're a very ignorant nation when it comes to that sort of thing. If it doesn't affect us directly within our whole parameters or our borders, then we don't give a shit. The conversation on sex workers' rights isn't really going anywhere or hasn't been. Um, there finally, there finally is a case in California that is starting to get a little attention. A conversation took place at the Capitol where lawmakers sort of, or at least one of them was like, you know, I never really thought about the fact that there are people who work in the sex industry as a career and are really making a difference. You know, so there's a conversation that's happening. But yeah, you're right. It's if people are like, you know, I'm not a prostitute. I'm not hiring a prostitute. Therefore, this doesn't matter to me, especially gay men. I tell I'm like, this is just like outdated sodomy laws. And, you know, telling people they can't pay for sex is a form of telling people how they have sex. It's like uh, what Lenny Bruce had to deal with in the in the 60s in New York with the whole censorship laws and his comedy. You know, he was a very famous comedian. He used to curse. They jailed him for for obscenity laws. You can't write laws simply based on the fact that you morally object to something. You can't do it. Again, the spirit of law is to protect people and to address issues where there are people being victimized. And that was the weird thing about the Rent-A-Boy thing because the government's case, they didn't mention it was for the protection of the sex worker themselves who was placing ads at rentaboy.com. They said it was for a criminal enterprise, simply. And that's why I think a lot of gay rights groups were like, what the fuck? What do you mean it wasn't about the worker? If it was not about the worker, because then that makes the, the case look like, why did you do it to begin with? Just for a little clarity, it is, it's Rent Boy. Oh, Rent Boy, sorry. It's okay, it's okay. <laughs> rent a Boy. I like Rent a Boy a little better, though. They should have named it that. that. Maybe you need to see if that domain's available. <laughs> I don't think so. Right. No, probably and, not. And if it's not, no, it's gone. In San Francisco, our organizations here have a pretty good relationship with the police department and, a, and an understanding that we're all opposed to human trafficking and underage, but, you know, a request to sort of you know, leave adults, consenting adults alone. And for the most part, that's I really have not heard of, you know, any consenting adults working out of the privacy of their own home having any issues in, in San Francisco. At the uh, at the Castro Street Fair, we were sort of letting people know, first of all, that what we're pushing for is ideally is for decriminalization versus legalization and educating to what's the difference. It sounds like in Germany, I kind of like their model they're working on. It sounds like they've almost sort of been just keeping it as a decriminalized model for a while. And now the government's starting to get more involved, which it's always debatable how much government involvement you want. Like, do I want the government dictating, say, the lighting that I have in my apartment because it's where I work out of, <laughs> you know? Or does the government go to insist that I need to always use condoms as my form of protection? 
versus things like PrEP, you know, other options. Like how much government control do we want on our business? There's a thing called the German Federation of Erotic and Sexual Services. It's actually like a group. <laughs> and their biggest complaints is that with the politicians, they make these laws. And the other groups, they say, oh, my God, we have to worry about the, the sex workers and all these other things. But when they say these things, they're talking about them and not to them. Yeah. And they're not asking them, hey, what do you need? What would work for you? And there goes to the whole effect of the perception of prostitution. Though the, the law in Germany has passed in 02 and prostitution is legal, the perception is still seen as like, oh, no. If, if you're proud of what you do, got to let that be known. And that means you've got to, you know, sometimes have uncomfortable conversations with people who decide to ask you what you do for a living, simply so that person can be like, wow, I know a sex worker now. And he or she seemed really cool. And they had their shit together. And they told me about how they're changing lives. You know, when, you know, Harvey Milk told everybody, you have to come out because if they know you, then they know one of us. I have had initially uncomfortable conversations on buses and planes with people, you know, because as Americans, we're always, oh, what do you do for a living? You know, because um, it's, it's how we define it's how we define somebody is by their work. So they made the mistake of asking. I'm going to, you know, and often there's, you know, a sense of shock or like you're joking. Right. And then they're like, oh, and, and that in most cases, though, I've had I've had a couple women just kind of like, oh, honey, you don't have to do that. People who do this work and love it and really want to make something of it need to be honest. And also clients need to come out of the closet. Does your family know about your, your occupation? Uh, my dad doesn't know everything. Uh, <laughs> he knows that I'm a massage therapist. I've told him about like go-go dancing in New Orleans. Um, I, I've told him a lot. Um, he might piece it together. I don't know. But I haven't. he's the only one I haven't told everything to. But he's very conservative Christian man, still lives in Southwest Virginia. I do plan on at some point in time in conversation, letting him know that my work is a little, you know, even deeper than uh, than he knows. And because I, I see him certainly as a huge opportunity to educate somebody who needs to be educated about it. But otherwise, yeah, I, I have two sisters, they know, extended family. My mom is actually almost too cool with it. <laughs> She's like, hey, honey, I got you a new client. All right. <laughs> I got somebody a gift certificate for you for Christmas. Oh, no. But like it was about two years ago. She, she was like, I feel so bad that when you come here, you got to spend all this money on hotel rooms. If you ever want to see a client here, I can totally just disappear for a couple of hours. <laughs> That's so great. Thanks, mom. Oh, my God. I got fresh sheets for you. I know, right? I'll put down the towel. <laughs> I put on the best throw on the couch. Mom, that is so amazing. Or amazing and, and no. No, right. <laughs> your bed is the only queen bed in the house, and I am not <laughs> your bed. Oh, man. I used to do that in high school, but that's just shady. To sleep in your oh, – no, man, you can't. Like once you get past like a certain age, it's just not right. And it's not the house I grew up in either, so it doesn't even have that sort of you know kinky appeal. Yeah, it's not like on my uh, Spider-Man sheets or anything. <laughs> with, your, with your He-Man pajamas. Right, my with footsies. <laughs> but um, uh, but you got to keep in shape because I mean, you can't you can't be a fat escort. Largely, most of the guys I know in porn, you know, have to also do supplements of uh, testosterone, um, human growth hormones. I mean, you know, a lot of them go to some real extremes to keep their body, you know, really big and tight. And they spend a lot of money on it. And for a lot of them, their health is affected. I've seen, like, in the last year, a lot of you know, guys in their 40s dying from heart failure due to what I can only assume is some level of body dysphoria. 
we can't ignore that that's probably largely linked to steroids or human growth hormones or whatever have you. I never heard that. that that's very prevalent in the uh, male escort industry in porn. Gay porn is to have a, a steroid abuse. Oh, yeah. It's almost essential. I, I'm not going to speak for everybody because there's some, I'm sure there's guys who just with really good working out have been able to do it, but largely there, you know, there's a lot of that going on. What I find actually what's interesting, and again, you know, this is kind of sort of abolish, you know, the, the, the myths about escorting is that a lot of the most successful guys I know do not by any means have perfect bodies. I mean, guys who are incredibly successful, guys who travel 70% of the time all over the world with clients that they've known for 10, 15 years and are, you know, probably making at least $200,000 a year. They make that much money, huh? Most of these guys are like in their 50s. A guy who wants to go to Mykonos for a week and explore and go to museums and have fine dining and have an adventure doesn't want to go with the 22-year-old. First of all, it's so obvious. <laughs> I mean, I have to say it, you know, but when, you know, when it's a 55-year-old with a 22-year-old, they're going to much more enjoy going with somebody who's in their 40s or 50s, who's traveled, who's cultured, who can carry on a conversation. So, yeah, it's not it, – it's by no means something. I, I have no expectations of age bringing my business down at all. I see it completely the opposite. I, and to, I look so forward to being in my 40s and 50s and getting to travel more. In gay relationships, it's a giver and a taker, right? Do you have to charge – more for the other? Like if a guy comes, hey, I want to give, is it more or is taking? Because taking is going to be painful. I mean, it depends, I guess, right? I would figure taking would be painful and you want to you want to get more money for that. No, the, the only time I would seek to negotiate a higher rate would be like something on the extreme end. Like I in, in my porn, I've done fisting quite a bit, um, which is another reason I don't emphasize my porn work that much because it's not something I do that often. And a lot of times, if guys look too much at my porn, especially if they're very quote-unquote vanilla, they might think, oh, this guy's so extreme that he's not going to enjoy just a nice, intimate, sensual kind of experience, which is the complete opposite. It's by far my preference. The only time I would charge more is if like somebody was like, ooh, I want to fist you. <laughs> just because it's like, okay, that is going to require like a lot of preparation. Animas. And I don't just mean preparation H. I mean <laughs> That too. <laughs> Uh, maybe not. <laughs> shit it doesn't just start when they get here it starts you know a good hour before they get here or more or even days beforehand to try to prepare for that so physical demands are not at all what's challenging for me in my work it's the emotional demands that will exhaust me and i can't possibly charge somebody more because emotionally and energetically it takes more out of me and I rarely feel drained because honestly, even if I do feel exhausted energetically, it's such a beautiful, wonderful feeling of exhaustion because I'm realizing like how much I gave to this person and how much that helped them. So say one of your clients, they have a huge penis. Bring it on. Oh, really? <laughs> you don't charge by the inch. You wouldn't be like, listen, over six, I can't be a taker for more than like X amount. You get discounts for over nine. No. <laughs> <laughs> you get like a coupon. Right. No. Yeah, no, it's – I. I'm incredibly versatile. It tends to typically be that with clients, I'm usually in the top position. And because I, I always try to meet clients where they're comfortable. You know, it's like, that's what you're comfortable with. I want to meet you there. And then, you know, in time, encourage you to step outside of your comfort zone. What about unprotected sex? 
if you don't want to use a condom, you charge extra or? Well, the thing is, you know, the dialogue has to be around what is unprotected sex. And most, if you ask most people, you say, what is unprotected sex? They would say sex without a condom. Well, it could easily be argued that at least in terms of HIV, if a guy is HIV positive, but he is on drugs and undetectable, he's a pretty safe guy to be with. And myself, I am on PrEP. I've been on PrEP for a year and a half. So PrEP is a means of protection against HIV. What choices to make is a conversation I have with each of my clients, whether top or bottom. And I am perfectly happy with that because, again, I want to meet them where they're comfortable. But I'm also comfortable, being that I am on PrEP, you know, the possibility of not using a condom since I have that protection. If it's comfortable for them, either because they're on PrEP or because they are positive and undetectable, whatever the case might be, you know, it's a discussion that I have. What is PrEP? So the actual drug is Trivada. And PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. The thing is, PrEP has actually, or Truvada, the drug, has actually been used by people who are HIV positive for about 10 years as a means of suppressing the virus. Four years ago, they thought, hey, this might be a potential way of actually preventing people from becoming infected. The thing is, there's been a lot of numbers thrown out by a lot of different organizations, and especially those that the AIDS Health Foundation, AHF, has posted, are kind of designed to shine a bad light on Truvada and its effectiveness. Hmm. But their low numbers are entirely based on people not taking the drug daily as prescribed. Kaiser, which is a big you know, healthcare thing in here in California, they did a trial, not a trial, but uh, a program for the last uh, year and a half, two years in San Francisco, where I think over 1,200 people are on it, I believe. And there has not been a single seroconversion amongst any of them. And a lot of these guys you know, are having what they would consider high-risk behavior, having unprotected sex, multiple partners, bottoming, taking loads, the whole thing, which without any other, without any form of protection, which definitely show at least a few uh, people seroconverting to being HIV positive. Theirs is the first that truly does show 100% effectiveness. Do you have clients that are HIV positive? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I try to educate my clients to people who like, let's say they're just, they're hooking up with people randomly. Do not allow somebody telling you, hey, I'm HIV negative to make you feel more comfortable with without using some form of protection, you know, because that doesn't mean anything. In fact, I am so much more comfortable with a client who, who were to say, I'm HIV positive. I've been HIV positive for 15 years. I've been undetectable for 14 years. That to me says that they are taking care of their sexual health. HIV positive and undetectable, again, speaking in terms of, of studies, um, if you're truly undetectable, then there is pretty much a 0% chance that you could possibly pass on HIV to your partner. People who shy away from pause, you know, or I want to have sex with a guy that's positive, it's like you're really greatly limiting yourself and you're not actually doing anything to protect yourself by sticking to guys who just say that they're negative. Well, it's not really a death sentence anymore as it was. There's a lot of people, um, you know, that are positive that only have to take one pill, maybe two pills. Um, usually if they have to take more than two, it's simply because of effects of the other pills like nausea. They'll have to take something to offset the nausea or whatever have you, but there's not many side effects anymore, so it's... Yeah, there's no reason that people should feel like they have to have a um, a pause-pause or neg-neg relationship in sex-negative environments where people don't talk openly about sex. People don't, you know, act responsibly. Exactly. When did you know you were gay? Um, in high school, like 16. In Virginia? Yeah. Yeah, and I came out, and I, I took a I took a guy to prom with me and all that. <laughs> so you must have got some flack for that, huh? You know, 
Yes, there was a guy, you know, this guy before I ever even came out that was like always my, you know, the one to taunt me. He called me faggot, you know, before I ever came out. So when I came out, it was just, you know, whatever. You know, I got my ticket for prom. I had to tell him what my date's name was. And somehow people talked, you know, that spread. So I was I was hearing from people that this guy who was always taunting me was like saying that he was going to kick my ass at prom is, you know, what was being said. And it, it, it worried me a little bit, but I also figured it was probably just the huff and puff or whatever. So shortly thereafter, all this going around, the I think he was a quarterback of the football team, you know, so he was a head honcho or whatever, came up to me and was like, hey, you know, I heard that Brian said he was going to kick your ass at prom. And I was like, you know, I was I didn't know where this was going because I wasn't really friends with this guy or anything. And I was like, uh, yeah, I was like, that's what I heard. I, I, you know, I'm not that worried. And he's like, well, you don't need to be because we'll make sure he doesn't lay a hand on you. He was like, I'm not really, you know, cool with what you're doing, but I think it's cool that you're being yourself and that you're not afraid to be yourself. And I was just like, holy shit. Like that, wow. You know, I mean, it wasn't, it was by no means a glowing review of like, woo, be gay, be proud. But he was like, me and the other guys will not let him lay a hand on you because you're being strong. And so I, that was, that was pretty cool. And then at prom, I actually, when we had to do this rose walk thing that was, you know, completely contrived and stupid. <laughs> Did they make you like the queen? <laughs> no, but you, like you just, you walk up with your date. Everybody's like formed a big circle and you walk down the middle of the circle with your date and you, you get a rose and, you know, but so it's just like an opportunity where all of a sudden you're on display prepared for like a carry moment or something. So I was heart palpitations, breathing heavy, and but we start the walk and just people just erupt in applause and like bigger applause than any other couple there. So, you know, I realized that if I just would be myself and try not to be afraid of that, that, you know, beautiful things can happen. Yeah. You know, I mean, America's come a long way. I mean, that Supreme Court victory for a gay marriage was like, wow. I really feel like, you know, given every circumstance in our life, we can either look at things from the standpoint of compassion or judgment. You remember like the 90s and the PC culture, the politically correct culture yep. that exploded on college campuses. And suddenly you couldn't say fag or faggot anymore. You couldn't even say black. It was African-American. Literally for, for 10 years there, you could not say fag or faggot. And now you can, as long as it's understood that it's jokingly you're poking fun at the PC, but, but we're becoming very PC again. It's 20 years later, and, you know, suddenly there's all these words that are no-no words now. And, uh, you know, I just think that you really have to look at things from a perspective and, like, is this person being hateful? Because if you're not being hateful, then, you know, you can call me faggot. You can call me a hooker. You can call me, <laughs> you know, a whore. You can call me whatever you want. If, if I know it's not coming from a place of anger or hurt or ignorance. I don't care. I'm not going to empower a word with so much. And I think we'll stop right there. I love those talks that take you out of your comfort zone and make you see things in a different light. And I hope that this talk did that because I know it did for me. Again, I can't thank Lance enough. He was really, really generous with his time. And I wish him nothing but the best in the future. Jimsville Podcast is available on Stitcher, on iTunes, on SoundCloud. Please share with all your friends and family. Few things are better than tales of prostitution and gay sex, especially during the holidays. Till next time, this is Jim. Peace.